Welcome back to Roto-Rob Fantasy Baseball Weekly Podcast, heard every Thursday evening at 9 p.m. EST on Blog Talk Radio as we infect the airwaves with our unique blend of fantasy baseball enlightenment. We're into late May now, which means we're less than three weeks away from the 2015 MLB draft, and we'll discuss that a bit later on the show. This week, there was new hope on the Drew Smiley front as the Rays think he may be able to return this season. Meanwhile, on the West Coast, the A's are having their problems and have now lost Drew Pomerantz to a shoulder injury. And for Texas, Josh Hamilton will remain in AAA for now, but his return to the majors is imminent. We're going to cover some of these stories and many more over the next 40 minutes or so, so pull up a beanbag chair and get comfy. I'm Rob, and my guest this week is Vonnie Hariri of Rotorob.com. How are you this evening, Vonnie? I'm doing awesome, sir. How are you doing today? I'll tell you, I'm not doing as well as Alex Rodriguez, who seems to be getting props from everyone these days, including Commissioner Rob Manfred. To me, the only way A-Rod could get be a bigger douchebag is if he wore sports goggles. But hey, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> For those that don't know, I have a severe hatred of sports goggles. Um, I think most people who wear them are D-bags. And, um, you know, A-Rod has proven himself to be a D-bag quite a few times. So I Could you imagine A Rod with sports goggles? <laughs> I would I would lose my mind. I would lose my mind. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this whole redemption thing that is going on is really driving me nuts, but I'm gonna talk about that a little bit more later. I wanna remind you the chat room and phone lines are open. Right now it's just me in the chat room. Uh guests feel free to call in if you uh wanna hit us up, three four seven eight two six seven three five eight. And before we get into this week's news, I'm going to quickly run down what's going on over at orderrob.com. On the baseball side of things, every Sunday we have the Wire Troll, written by MLB editor Michael Seth. This week, uh, highlighting Eduardo Escobar. Our outfield rankings being worked on, DHs as well, and soon starting pitchers to wrap up this year's positional rankings. On the football side of things, we've started work on the 2015 NFL Draft Kit, so keep your eyes peeled there. Hope to start releasing cheat sheets uh, sometime in June, I guess. As far as hockey goes, watch for some off-season content coming soon. Uh, and basketball, we have the Wire Troll All-Star team also coming soon. Was just working on that before we uh, went on the air. Just need to do a little formatting tweakings here and there, and that'll be good to go. Video games, nothing new this week, but new games are being added constantly, so check back soon. We are now within three posts uh, from 4,100 in the site's history, so should hit that mark this weekend or sooner. Finally, uh, don't forget to subscribe to our RSS feed to get instant notifications when we post new fantasy sports content. We need just nine more subscribers to reach 200, so come and join the party. Are uh, you a subscriber there, Vonnie? Yes, sir. I am on it. All right. Excellent. Good work, my man. Now, our top story this week. Um, the New York Yankees, who started the season on a hell of a roll, but have been kind of coming back to the pack a little bit lately, suffered a major blow when Jacoby Ellsbury was sent to the deal with a knee injury, the severity of which is still a little unknown. What uh, can you tell me about the situation there, Bonnie? Well, I mean, he's looking to have it uh, uh, looked at uh, Friday, so tomorrow, so you should get word on, on what the severity of it is. And it was a kind of weird one to begin with. I mean, him getting his uh, uh, 
while swinging the bat and getting his cleats stuck into the dirt. So, I mean, that doesn't really bode well. Um, potentially MCL, things of that nature, is, is, is what's being batted around. Hopefully that's not the case. Um, well, you know, this is actually, ironically enough, this is actually the first time on the DL, um, uh, on a fortune day DL with the Yankees. So hopefully it's not too bad, uh, but we won't really know anything uh, officially until tomorrow. Yeah, he had some injury issues in the spring training, but has been healthy so far this year. Um, and as you mentioned, well, he had an MRI after he got hurt Tuesday, and the, the Yanks apparently saw something enough in that MRI to decide he did need the DL stint. But uh, as you said, going to see the team doctor tomorrow, and ostensibly we'll get a firmer timetable at that time. Apparently what I'm hearing is surgery seems highly unlikely, so that's good news, but... Until we have a firm idea of exactly how long he's going to be out, anyone who owns Ellsbury and the Yankees in general, obviously, are going to have to hold their breath there, eh? Yeah, I mean, and at the end of the day, I mean, if you're if you got Ellsbury and you don't have a contingency plan, that's kind of your fault. I mean, he is he is kind of paper mache. I mean, and we kind of knew that going into it. So, I mean, he goes down in most years. I mean, he was. Uh, what he played just 18 games in in 2010. He was 74 and 12, and he was out a few weeks in 13 as well. So, I mean, it's mm-hmm. kind of yeah. He's, had, he's definitely had his share of injuries over the years, there's no doubt. Uh, and of course, that leaves a huge gap in the leadoff spot. Brett Gardner has moved into that uh, in his stead, uh, moving while Carlos Beltran has shifted into the two hole um, while uh, he's out. And the Yankees have opted to bring up Slade Heathcock, um, but he's probably going to just sit on the bench. Chris Young should get most of the work at center field, I figure. Well, like like I said, last year Ellsbury stayed fairly healthy. He actually recorded 575 at-bats. Um, this year, uh, performance-wise, he's already been caught stealing five times in 19 tries, but he's enjoying a better overall season than his debut in pinstrikes. But... Um, as I mentioned, the Yanks did get off that really good start, and but recently have skidded a bit, and now are only tied for first place with Tampa Bay now. Uh, and with Ellsbury going down, how uh, how much is this going to affect the Yankees there, uh, Bonnie? Well, considering Bill Trent has been having a rough go of it, I mean, uh, he, you know, he's been trying to come around a little bit. I mean, it does make you nervous because most of the offense has been coming from Gardner um, or from Ellsbury. And the thing about it is it makes you just a little bit nervous is what you pointed out. I mean, for him to have – um, leg injuries or any injuries that are lower than the hip kind of makes you nervous because one of the things that, that really makes him stand out is his speed. Um, it's kind of fun watching him and Gardner over there uh, chase down balls, and these guys are covering a ton of ground, um, which is really fun to watch. But as you pointed out, when you get caught on trying to steal five times already, which which is kind of unheard of for him. Um, yeah, he's and normally has, amazing. And has a history of injury. Yeah, it never happens. So having lower uh, uh uh, hips and lower half injury does make you nervous for the long term, for sure. That is a great point. I was going to bring that up later. Uh, obviously, speed being his biggest weapon, and he, the the big thing that you have to worry about is that uh, will this affect him for the rest of the year? I mean, obviously, having Ellsbury healthy and patrolling center field and hitting atop the order is central to any hope the Yanks have of getting back to the playoffs this year. I mean, he, let's face it, he's their best position player at this stage. He leads the team in FWAR. Um, and, you know, speed being his most important tool, if that knee injury lingers in any way, you know, that's really going to affect his fantasy value, for sure, like from a stolen base perspective, don't you think? Absolutely, and, and, and again, it makes me nervous. Now, I will say, 
Um, I, I actually have seen most of uh, the times that he got caught, and some of them were just kind of silly. I, I, I don't really know why he kind of took off at all. The things that people know that he's going to go, um, and some of them were just good good throws, and he was beat by a mile. It wasn't really a speed thing. It was just a why in the head did you run thing. Um, but uh, he's still getting caught more than you would ever think he would. And, I mean, what is he, 31 now at this, at this, at this point? Yeah. So yeah. he's going to start carrying out anyway. Injuries are not going to help that out. Now, granted, you know, he's been bad nothing three twenty four, so he's been good in generating offense in general. Um, but still, as far as fantasy concerns in particular, a lot, a lot of his value comes from his ability to hear the steal bases. So hopefully there's nothing that's going to slow him down. But you got to be thinking about the wear and tear. And like I said, for somebody like him that does have a tendency to going down, you got to make sure that you have a contingency plan for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm really not sure he's lived up to that $153 million deal yet. I mean, certainly his first year in the Yankees was okay. It wasn't great. Uh, but this injury does not bode well that year two will be any better for uh, this seven-year deal that the Yankees are on the hook for there, Vonnie. You're a Yankee fan, well, correct? Yeah, I am, absolutely. Um, but almost nobody <laughs> lives up the Yankees' contracts for the most part. I mean, when you talk about A-Rod, A-Rod, you know, he's produced quite a bit in terms of the regular season, but if you think about what he's been getting paid, not to mention him being out for, for a year, uh, basically, but also what he's produced in the playoffs. I mean, he hasn't lived up to that contract at all. The only people that probably were on that road to is obviously Derek Jeter and, and Robertson Cano in recent history. Um, that got you know, yeah. looking at big checks and actually lived up to him. So, I mean, that's kind of par with the course for the Yankees. Um, but, I guess you know, it's just a lot of money to throw around for for substandard performances. And I mean, age, sorry, speed does not age well generally. And as you mentioned, he's already thirty one. So by the time this contract ends, we're, he's going to be in his mid to late thirties, and you know. Uh, let's face it, it's pretty obvious that when he smacked 32 homers in 2011, that was a major outlier. It's just not going to happen again. So, really, it's all about the speed and, and batting average and runs for, for Ellsbury, you know? Well, I'm not really a fan of, of deals past five years <laughs> anyway. For me, especially when you're getting into those big numbers in general, unless you're grabbing somebody, you know, after year one, year two, where you see like a Mike Trout type situation, yeah, sign him up for as long as you can. But for a lot of these yeah. guys, particularly after you already had a stint and you knew what his injury history was and you knew how much it was based on speed, I, I don't like the years and I don't like the dollars on somebody like uh, Ellsbury in that situation. But, I mean, it's a hard pill to swallow. But you're not only getting them, you're also keeping them away from the Red Sox. And, and so you're kind of paying them for both. True that. I do like the fact that Ellsbury is making better contact this year, but his overall offense has a long way to go to get back to his 2011 or even 2013 levels. Uh, and I'm not sure that um, you know we're, we're going to see that this year, but time will tell. I mean, he was off to a better start, but this puts a crimp in it, and you know we got to hold our breath tomorrow to find out how much of a crimp. So time will tell on uh, you know. Ellsbury's 2015 uh, story, still much of it to be written, but uh, not a good omen, my friend. Now, uh, I want to remind you, you're listening to the Roto-Rob Fantasy Baseball Weekly Podcast featuring our guest uh, this evening, Bonnie Hariri. And now a quick word from our sponsor, Side League, offering daily fantasy contests with no salary cap, no sharks, and no hassle. You can win money while you trash talk your friends. 
Visit sideleague.com and download our app for Android or iPhone today. Enter promo code ROTORUB for a free $5 deposit now. Sideleague, fantasy sports for everyone. Um, so, that's all we got as far as news goes. Let's get into the box score component of the evening. I'm going to lead things off. I was uh, watching the Arizona-Miami game this afternoon. High-scoring affair that Arizona managed to squeak out 7-6 to complete a four-game sweep uh, over Miami and pull within a half a game suddenly of the third-place third place Padres. And um, Arizona has now opened up a three-game lead over last-place Colorado. Do you know that this was... Okay, I'm going to quiz you here, Ronnie. When's the last time Arizona completed a four-game sweep? Any four-game sweep? Jeez. That would be some years, huh? It's a little shocking how long it's been. It's been seven years. Oh, sorry. (laughs) No, I was going to say five, but but seven. Yeah, that's shocking. I mean, a four-game sweep is not that rare. It's only the fifth time in franchise history they've had a four-game road sweep. Uh, that, of course, would be more rare, a sweep on the road. But um, keep in mind, this is a team that got swept in Philadelphia last weekend. Philly is nobody's idea of, you know, like a world beater, of course. So Arizona, not a good team, and then walks into Miami. Well, <laughs> Miami, what a shit show right now. They're just spinning right out of control. They're now a game and a half back of the fourth place Phillies. That's right, fourth place. Phillies were everyone's pick for the worst team in baseball this year. Miami has lost seven straight games all at home. This is all being witnessed by their home fans. And I'm wondering, will Jeffrey Loria fire a second manager this week? I mean, Dan Jennings is now 0-4 since taking over from Mike Redman. It's the worst start by a new manager since Tony DeFrancesco went 0-4 when he took over Houston in 2012. And it's the longest losing streak for Miami since they lost eight straight in April of last year. What a mess. Anyhow, Arizona got the... Okay, here's a perfect example of what a shit show it is in Miami. Arizona got the go-ahead run today on a walk, a bobbled bunt, and then two infield singles. I mean, they don't even hit a ball hard, and (laughs) they score a run. It's like, it's crazy. So leading the way today for Arizona was Ender uh, in, in Ciarte who was 3-for-5 with a run and a couple RBIs, struck out once, uh, now 16 ribbies on the year. He's done a solid job as the leadoff man for Arizona this season, but I'd like to see more walks and better work on the base pass. He's just 5-for-8 in that regard, before considering him a must-owned, must-owned fantasy asset. Yasmani Tomas has now put together six straight multi-hit games. Paul Goldschmidt got a day off to rest, but did come into pinch hit. Arizona's bullpen got the job done. Three relievers got the final 10 Marlins out in order. Uh, After Archie Bradley made the start, it was his second start since he took one off the face. And he got nailed by a line drive again in this start, only this time it was in the ass, so he was okay. But clearly, uh, he is not okay since the noggin episode. Lasted five innings today and gave up nine hits, four runs, struck out four, walked two in a no decision, through 86 pitches, 29 of them balls. His ERA has risen to 4.00. He uh, looked so good out of the gates, but has not looked the same pitcher since uh, getting beaned. His ERA at the time was 1.80. I guess if I own Bradley at this point, I'm about to put him on my bench and wait it out because he's got massive upside. I will not drop him. 
Andrew uh, Chafin earned the uh, W for Arizona, pitching one and one-third perfect innings of relief, no strikeouts. Addison Reed, who has been removed as the closer for the time being, earned his first hold of the year with a perfect inning, struck out two to lower his ERA to 5.14, a definite step in the positive direction for Reed. And Brad Ziegler came on and got the save with a perfect inning. He struck out two. That's his first save since June of last year, and he needs to be picked up immediately while this closer situation sorts itself out. For the Fish, the big bat today was Marcel Ozuna, who was 2-for-5 with two runs and an RBI. He struck out once. He's now up to 276 with a 344 on-base percentage. He's been in a slump for a few days, so this was nice to see. Um, the Jennings, uh, new manager Jennings has moved uh, Ozuna from the sixth spot in the batting order to the two-hole the last couple days, and he's responded with three hits. So if he was dropped in your league, you may want to have a look as this is going to provide a nice boost in his value. For the Marlins, Matt Leto started and was awful. Five and a third, gave seven hits, six runs, did strike out seven, walked two, got a no decision, but his ERA is now up to 6.12. Ugly. He looked like his old self in his first two starts this month, but in the last two, he's back to getting battered like a stepchild. Still, Latos FIP is under 3.5, so there's been a lot of bad luck involved. I would suggest to not cut bait yet, but park him on the bench for now and see what happens his next start out against Pittsburgh. He's been too good for too long to be putting up this kind of results. I think that uh, it's just, you know, it's a case of uh, luck sorting itself out for him. Meanwhile, Sam Dyson, who's pitched very well this year, suffered his first loss of the year for the Marlins, gave up two hits, a walk, and a run in two-thirds of an inning. Uh, in the American League, uh, Vonnie, you were watching Seattle-Baltimore. What uh, was shaking there? Yeah, that was, uh, that was kind of an interesting one. Uh, they had a... Well, the Orioles were hosting the, uh, the Mariners. Um, first of all, they had they started off with an hour rain delay, so it was an hour rain delay, and then they had another two and a half hour rain delay in the middle of the third. So that one was kind of probably pretty tough on them uh, to keep. And then the fun thing is, is that they had a little bit of action. Um, uh, Steve Pierce, a grand slam for his first grand slam uh, with two outs, um, which put the O's up four uh, zero. Um, and then it went to four one into the third when it went into the other two and a half uh two and a half hour delay there. The uh the Mariners were actually able to come back and tie it up four four, but because of the fact that their offense was a little bit rough there, um they were handicapped a little bit. Kyle Seeker actually got tossed in the fifth inning for arguing and calling the third strike, so he was out of there. And they actually went three for fifteen with runners in scoring position, which is just atrocious. Um, and left 13, 13 left on base. So this is one of those situations where Seattle absolutely had plenty of chances to be able to win this game and were able to bring it home, which is kind of interesting because um, uh, so much has been said about so much the young talent that's on this team, and I think it's about time that they, you know, to start turning it up. In fact, uh, um, GM just mentioned that they need to step it up and start living up to their potential. And so this is one of those situations where they left a lot on the lot on the bases there. Also, what's to come back? The Mariners were able to come back and decide, so J.J. Hardy singles up the middle to bring home Chris Davis, who was coming around for second. And that's another one that was pretty much a blooper straight up the middle uh, that could have, well, it seems like it could have been easily defended. But this is one of those situations where they definitely let it get away from them, at least the Mariners. Uh, Three-and-a-half-hour overall delay, um, but the uh, Baltimore Orioles being able to bring it home with a 5-4 victory. 
Um, Hap had a, had a pretty rough go of it. Obviously, he got pelted pretty quick right out of the gate, giving up a grand slam that early in the game, kind of puts you behind the eight ball, and it's kind of hard to get back from that one, especially when you're having delays and things of that nature. So um, it was a pretty interesting game. Uh, Darren O'Day was actually uh, um, was actually able to get out of most of it, uh, but then got binked a little bit as he uh, uh, walked uh, Logan Morrison on a 3-2 pitch uh, to force in the time run. So it got a little bit interesting, a lot of action, but the rain delay made it tough. So three and a half uh, hours total just on the delay, which is basically what a, uh, what a normal uh, Yankees Red Sox fan goes for. But um, a pretty long day for them. That game was in Baltimore as if they haven't enough to deal with. Now they got to deal with three and a half hour rain delay. Oh my goodness! Well, first of all, just for those guys, I mean, in general, like what's you know just kind of was happening. They've had such a, a run of bad luck, and usually for the things that just to happen in general, obviously sports and baseball usually takes a pretty um, uh, uh, takes a backseat to it. But it's just been crazy the circumstances that these guys have had to play in. So the fact, even though um, I believe now they are uh, fourth in the standings, third or fourth in the standings, uh, they've done a pretty great job of kind of holding it together. Yeah, so they're fourth in the mm-hmm. standings right now in the AL East, but they've done a pretty good job of holding it together, and I think all things considered of what these guys have had to go through, they've been doing a pretty good job. Well, sometimes it's these these type of off-field uh, tragedies or episodes like this can have a unifying effect. I mean, you remember when, when the Boston Marathon bombings happened, you know, Boston kind of polarized, you know, like the Boston Strong thing, and they, and they wound up winning the World Series very surprisingly that year. Just kind of, you know, it was became a rallying cry, and like it's a very different situation in Baltimore than the terrorist attack. Obviously, hugely different, but I mean, sometimes good things can come out of bad things, you know, like unifying the community. Well, and, 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 you know, even though you know, in, in the terrorist attack, I mean, it, you know, it was an outward situation, and, and 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 every and that's easy for people to rally together in that situation. But I think when you live and work in a community. And you have a situation like they had in Baltimore. I think it still has a kind of fine effect because it makes you realize how much it is a game, and it makes you realize how lucky you are to be able to play in in a game like this in communities like that, and, and how how much of a role you play in it. You know, to have an empty stadium game really puts it in perspective for you um, yeah. that there's there's stuff outside of baseball, and 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 people come in spite of all the other things, working, having to purchase the tickets having to do with kids, having to do whatever. So people to be able to find time all all the time to fill up these parks day in and day out, I think sometimes it gets lost on people. Um, but when you realize well, there's a lot of things happening in the world. You know you what? Know, you start Honestly, that was, now that I think about it, it was a really stupid parallel because, I mean, the, the bombing happened, it was an event, and it was over, whereas this situation in Baltimore has been brewing for decades, if not longer, and it's not over. It's, I mean, no. we we've... It's settled for the, I mean, you know, for the time being, things have calmed down. But it's not like it's over, and it's not like it's ever going to be over anytime soon. So, I mean, it's a completely different scenario, obviously. But uh, well, well, it's still an important one to make because I think what we found out in these last couple of years, particularly in these last two years, is that sports has a place to play in social commentary. And when you see what happened, you know, with the Rams um, wearing the hands of uh, uh, shirts when you, uh, when you see what happened in, in Cleveland with, with a similar situation, um, you, you start to see that, that people are actually not only uh, uh, looking to um, athletes for their opinion to it, but they're actually expecting it. And this is coming out of an era 
where people like Michael Jordan and things of that nature were protecting brands and never really took a stand or had an opinion or anything that happened socially. Right. And that was coming out of the the Jim Browns in, in that era where, uh, again, they were in the middle of the civil rights piece of it. So there's a lot of I mean, story. There's a good side and a downside to that because, I mean, a player says something off the cuff on his Twitter, and next thing you know it's around the world, and he's in really big shit. You know, like you – I mean – it they're they're supposed to be a role model, but uh, like, are we really are we really looking to our athletes for political commentary or analysis? You know, like it's there's a there's a fine line there. You know what I mean? Like people look to them as role models and want to know what they think, but what do they think? They think I'm going to try to score 30 points tonight. I don't know if their their world extends beyond that. I mean, I would like to think it does to an extent, but in many cases it probably doesn't. You know. Well. You know, as a as, as an owner or a fan, obviously you want their focus um, uh, lasering in or whatever it is that they're playing. But I mean, they're people, so you know you have to have an opinion, whether or not it's an intelligent or well thought out opinion. That's what Twitter usually lets us figure out. And the thing well, about it is, is you can't really say it's hard to say profound things in 140 characters. So you always hope that they do a more artful way to express themselves, usually dealing with or talking to the community or being a part of the community versus sure. trying to say something clever on Twitter. I guess know. I guess what I meant by that was that they're in a different class, a different stratosphere, and kind of removed from every man. You know what yeah. I mean? Can they still relate to every man? I mean, they've, they've grown up a very sheltered life, been coddled and babied to get to this point, probably don't know how to balance a checkbook, they have people to do that yeah. for them. You know what I mean? Like day-to-day existent life is so far removed from the kind of things that they worry about. I often think that they, that an athlete can't really relate to a regular person. I mean, maybe they came from poverty or, you know, grew up in that respect, but I don't know. You know what I mean? Like they're just so far removed from it now that they just, it's like, it's just a different stratosphere in some ways. And that's what I think is interesting about what happened in Baltimore is that that was happening right outside of the stadium. It couldn't escape it. This is one of those situations where you can't just get in your limo and roll on. We're talking about people are being asked to stay in the stadium or not come at all. And I think that's what's different and that's what's unique about it is that normally you can sit in your ivory tower and you don't have to ever deal with any of this stuff. And when it's right outside of the stadium, I think I'm actually curious to you know, because they they talked to him a little bit, but I'm really curious to hear a little bit more about, you know, about how eerie that was to know that that was happening and being there with the empty stadium and things of that nature. I think it's something that we'll probably talk about once the the, the really important stuff has been yeah. dealt with a little bit more. I think we'll come back definitely and we'll look at this and we'll say this. Definitely a surreal quality from what I, you know, the, all the quotes I heard. Um, anyhow, so the draft is coming up there, Vonnie. Um, you're the general manager of the Texas Rangers. You're on the clock with number four pick. Uh, right now, you know, your team is holding its own, but had a shitty start to the year and it's fourth place in the AL West. You know, you're now four back of the Angels who are in second, so you're already kind of falling out of the wild card picture and uh, looks like it might be another long summer in Texas. So this pick's pretty important for your future. What are you thinking? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think you're going to, you know, obviously you're going to take best pick available in this situation. I mean, you don't necessarily always expect immediate dividends um, in uh, in baseball, which I think is is, is a good thing because you actually have a time, to, you know, to maturate these kids a little bit. 
Um, there's been a lot of talk about uh, outfielder Daz Cameron. Um, he seems to have a yeah. pretty decent uh, uh, bat. So I, I think that's always great. I mean, you you always hope that, you know, Josh Hamilton can come back up and, and, and get his head back together once you give him a support system. And you have that back, uh, that bat back, and you also have that um, outfielding. You hope that, but I think getting a, a youngster that has a quality bat that can do some things, I definitely think um, that would be valuable. And the other thing is uh, uh, the shortstop uh, um, from Florida High School, uh, Brendan Rogers, might be another a viable option depending on where these guys end up going. But right. I think getting getting some defense and getting a bat is probably the best option for those guys. I'm assuming at number four, well, I mean, certainly Brendan Rogers or Dansby Swanson, the, the Vanderbilt shortstop, are there. That's that's the smartest way to go for Texas. But assuming those two players go in the top three picks, which seems, you know, to be a likely scenario, Daz Cameron is an ideal pick, and uh, I've seen a lot of mocks take him. He looks like a consensus top, top five pick. And he's a high school high schooler out of Georgia, so by the time he's ready for the bigs, like he probably won't move quickly as a high schooler, and you don't take him with three, four years. Hamilton will probably just be winding up his career at that point, so um, it might be you know a perfect sort of transition. Um, this guy's considered a superb all-around talent and potential five-tool player, and of course he's the son of Mike Cameron, the former big leaguer, which makes me feel really old because <laughs> Mike Cameron didn't really retire that long ago. And it's not like he played forever. He had a long career. But, like, I mean, I watched all of Mike Cameron's career, and his son is already ready to be drafted. Kind of, I mean, I hope Mike Cameron had this, it was like somebody's baby daddy at, like, 14 or something because <laughs> it's, like, making me feel really old, you know? Well, he was going to make the um, so, I mean. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, Daz, the kid, he's been accused of coasting from time to time. And, I mean, with his immense talent, you can get away with that in high school and still dominate. But if uh, that's a real problem, that's not going to fly in the pro. So he's going to have to address that. But I think you're bang on there. Daz Cameron is a great pick for them, if, unless they decide to go for an arm. But uh, that would definitely be a nice boost to their offense in a few years. So uh, another uh, story I've been following there this week, um, and we kind of touched upon that a little bit uh, at the top there, Vonnie, was um, the whole A-Rod thing, um, where Hank Steinbrenner um, has come out and said about A-Rod this year, he's been a great asset, and he's been playing well, and he's producing. I mean... It's not a, it's not a, I love you, I love you fest, but, you know, we're all holding hands and singing Kumbaya or anything, but, you know, like, given the state of things in the off season and the way things have been the past few years with the, with the lawsuits and, and with, with the, with the complete distraction that A-Rod's being, he's come back and it's been all peace and love and people are noticing and it's like, I don't know what you know. You're a Yankee fan. What's your take on this scenario that A Rod's kind of? I mean, I'm not ready to say he's redeemed himself, but I guess what I'm saying is, people are making a point of saying, you know what? He's he's been a good boy. You know? So you know, I, I'm I'm not there with either, and I don't know if a lot of Yankees fans are. But to, but to use a, a football reference from the Bills, I mean, sometimes you got to circle the wagons. And the thing about it is, is that once a person is is getting lumped up by everybody all the time, 
um, you, you start to after a while you start to want to lift them up a little bit, and I think that's a part of what's happening. But I think the other thing is that there's such a leadership vacuum on the Yankees. I think if Jerry Jeter is still there, if Robinson Cano is still there, he's not getting this type of welcome in the same manner. But when you leave El Capitan, <laughs> when you lose the captain, and you lose your who who the person that you thought might have been being groomed uh, to be his replacement. I mean, who are you going to look to? I mean, Ellsbury is <laughs> the former Red Sox is going to be your leader. You're going to look to Gardner. I mean, we, we, we like him, and he's great and everything, but do we see him as a leader? I don't think so. Beltran, no. Tex, I mean, he's proven that he's not that guy. So now you have A-Rod come back, and then for him to come back and produce that offense that quickly um, and then have a milestone that quickly into the season, and, and regardless of what anyone says, the Yankees want that milestone, <laughs> you know, um, happening in uh, uh with him as the Yankees. So I think all of that happened is just kind of with, you know, uh, making it better. And especially over the $6 million, it's kind of made the uh, the Yankees develop a little bit in terms of the players. And I think they've rallied a little bit around them because of that as well. So because of all of those well, things, the whole chorus and stuff, I think it's helped them. You bring up the marketing money, and this is where the peace and love could end very suddenly because it's in his contract – the Yankees are saying, no, we don't have to pay the $6 million for retiring Willie Mays for fourth place. Um, Manfred came out today, uh, the commissioner, and said the Yankees have a well-founded legal position here. So he's kind of back in the Yankees, but the union's definitely going to have something to say to this. And while A-Rod, to his credit, is shutting up about it and basically saying, you know, I'll let the lawyers handle that stuff, they will. $6 million is still $6 million. I mean, it may not mean... I'll, uh, it may it may mean that A Rod may have to like not have lunch out every single day. <laughs> you know, to us it might mean a lot of money. It's still a lot of money, right? My point is, <laughs> this this peace and love thing. He's about to be in the middle of a shitstorm. Something's going to break here. The union's getting involved. Lawyers going to get involved, and um, there's going to be a grievance filed. And he's going to be in the middle, so he can't. His whole squeaky clean thing. Is only going to last so long, right? Like, well, yeah, come yeah. on, you know it's coming, I right? I actually think I actually think that this might end up helping. This may sound a little bit crazy, but I actually think this might end up helping a little bit because it allows you to do a couple things. I, honestly, if first of all, if I were a rod, um, I would go in, I would talk to Hank, and I would say, "Listen, let's make everybody happy. You give me the six million, PA's off your back. Nobody thinks you were trying to be stingy, cheap, or vindictive." I'm going to take the $6 million. I'm going to donate it. I'm going to donate it to RBI and Willie Mays' name to get more African-American players in the game. I don't get the $6 million. You don't get the $6 million. You get it to me. Everybody's happy, right? That's what I would do. But Okay, you're not have you heard that A-Rod is going to do that? Is that like a rumor? No, I've not, I haven't heard anything of it of any sort, but that's just what hey, I would do. Hey, that's a brilliant solution, my friend. I mean, because... That's a win-win-win scenario. Right? The Yankees look good. A-Rod looks good. Everybody looks good. The, the charity wins. It, it's fucking brilliant. You should be managing A-Rod. Why aren't you managing him? <laughs> I, he hasn't paid me yet. The check hasn't cleared. He needs to call me. No, tell me I can get this guy out of his mood. You know what? I just, if that happens, that would be just fantastic. Like It's brilliant. It, it really is. It, it totally works in every scenario there. Um, and it takes wow. a solid taste off of him breaking the record. You know, 
it takes all of that sour taste out of it, and then it has to. Then it can say, "Look, guys, this is a family thing. We'll deal with this when it comes to seven hundred. You know, this is a you family think it takes, thing." All the sour taste, I mean, there's still the whole PED thing. There's still well, a whole the whole black cloud over yeah. I just mean about the money you know. piece of it, yeah. Okay, yeah. okay, yes. Like the the kind of um, double-edged sword where it's like, oh, he broke the record? Oh, shit, I don't know that $6 million. right. Yeah, it yeah. takes that away. Because now you, you want to be able to promote it. You want to be able to talk about it. You want to be able to do that. And quite honestly, I would, be, I would tell you that it would take most of the sting out of the PED thing if it wasn't, if it wasn't for the fact that the Hall of Fame was involved. People probably wouldn't be talking about the PED thing, but you're going to have to because of the fact of his potential to get into the well, his should he get into the Hall of Fame or not? And, and obviously, with the Jorge Posada thing, now that story is going to carry out. So that's going to keep the PED thing alive. But I'm telling you, if they can pull something like that off, that's one of those situations where you can lay everything to bed. Everybody's got to shut up, and any naysayers are just going to look like a holes. Well, you know what? So, You're absolutely right. That would work, but realistically, I find it hard to imagine them getting through this period without something really bad happening. That would be great. I, I, I'm sure someone's thought of it. You I know, so. it's it's a logical and sensible solution and answer to this. I mean, probably baseball even said, "Look, we'll give you the six million, donate it to charity." Look, you're going to get a six million dollar tax write off. So you'll be able to shelter your income. You're going to look like a, you know, so it's not like you don't get any personal gain from it. Certainly from a redemption standpoint, it's brilliant. Everyone wins. I'm sure someone suggested it to him and his advisors probably said, look, this is the best scenario. But is he going to do it? Well, we'll see. Here's my thing about it. If you look at the Yankees, okay, first of all, what's $6 million when you talk about marketing and promotion? The story play that you're going to get out of this will last weeks overall when you're talking about this. That's going, to, that's, going to, that's going to give you way more than $6 million of value to A-Rod. First of all, after the PED thing broke, how, you're in the biggest media market on the planet Earth. How many sponsorships did this guy lose or potentially not get because of the PED thing in this whole situation? If he donates six million dollars, particularly the RBI, particularly to get minorities into the game, particularly in the name of one of the most beloved baseball players ever, how many uh, sponsorships and endorsement deals is this guy going to get back? They're going to flood to him. They're going to flood to him. And now you can actually ascend yourself to the clear and present leader of the New York Yankees. You will make far, far, far more than six million dollars off of that move. Listen, I hear you, man. Everything you're saying makes total sense. I just don't know if it's going to play out that way. In an ideal world, it will, I guess, but I will be fascinated to see how this plays out. We'll revisit this topic in about a month or so because that's about when it will all come down, right? Uh, I love the I love your thinking. It makes complete sense, but this is it's still a rod. He still has to do something douchey, right? Like it's, it's it would not be a rod if something douchey didn't happen. Like it's just it's like a law of physics, right? Like you know. He can't help uh, it. He any, can't help it. any other any other stories that piquing your interest this week you wanted to bring up, uh, Vani? Honestly, you know that that's been uh, you know that's been the uh, the big one for me. I'm actually glad you brought it up. I didn't know that you were actually um, because of that, and then obviously the whole thing with Jorge Posada because that just frustrates me. Um, because I feel like uh, I, I don't feel like Jorge was out there trying to sell a book. 
I feel like he was asked a genuine question and he tried to give a real answer. And instead of saying, instead of making it a situation where he was talking about PUD players not getting into the Hall of Fame, they made it about A Rod not getting into the Hall of Fame. So, well, I was a little frustrated to see that storyline, but it was Clemens as well, though. It wasn't just A-Rod. He was, he was talking yeah, well, about Clemens and A-Rod. They, they made it about teammates versus I mean, guys which is fair TV. because they really that's the only – that's his frame of reference, right? Um, you know, I, I mean, the whole A-Rod thing, they brought up the 2003 season when A-Rod got the MVP ostensibly under the influence of PEDs that season. And got. that was Posada's so, best chance to win his MVP, right? So, yeah. like – Obviously, that was a media-driven story where they had a lot of reasons for Posada, a clean player, to, you know, scream sour grapes over uh, like a lot of situations that he thinks are unfair. And yeah, they, they, you know, it's easy to turn a story like that into something big when it's not really about that. It's about his book. You're right, but um, it's the Yankees and it's a Rod and it's the New York media, and that's. That's the way things well, work, he right? He said it best. He said it best. He should have known better. I mean, and that's not to say that he wasn't going to get the question. It's just one of those situations where it's not even necessarily how it started but what it turned into. I mean, you got to expect the question. you got to know that they want get to some, get some juice. Um, mm-hmm. But it is what it turns into. But that's the 24-hour media cycle. I mean, that's the world we live in. So it's no one's fault, really. But he, took, he, he had no problem taking the bait and running with it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. He had no problem. Uh, you know, when he when he could have like just kind of sloughed it off. So it's not like he's not media trained. You know, it's not That's like true. some rookie shooting his mouth off. This is a That's seasoned true. veteran who's been interviewed a million times and knows better. So, like, while the media took that and made a story out of it, Posada could have could have just you know said that's not really relevant to this why I'm here. You know, or whatever some some pat answer to like dodge the question. Yeah, we, yeah, we um, all know the candidates that you're supposed to give. You, um, that's about all we got tonight. Uh, you have anything you want to plug? You want to put your pimp hat on, and uh, you know, well, everybody can. Uh, well, they can just check for me on uh, on Twitter and things of that nature, and they can look for us on uh, rotorob.com. dot com. We're going to be doing some things here later this year when we get into the football season, and then they also what's can Twitter, uh, check what's for your Twitter, hand, Twitter handle, my man. That's going to be uh, at be the noble one or be the noble one back or be the noble one with the number one, not O N E. Be the noble one with the number one. Yeah, we got to know who to follow, man. Come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So follow me. <laughs> uh, check me out on Twitter and all of that, and uh, we'll keep you up on what's going on with me. Awesome. Uh, thanks so much for coming on tonight. Really appreciate it. Uh, I got to close the show with some Sean Mulrain, and uh, hope to have you on again real soon. Uh, have yourself Absolutely. a great summer. Thanks we'll... for having me, buddy. Okay, man. Awesome. Awesome as always. Uh, sports goggles are in the mail for you. <laughs> Boo. <laughs> <laughs> Sean Mulrain here, and we'll see you all next week.